0: What we do here is go back, 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 back,
1: back, 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 back. And welcome into episode uh, Angelo, is this what what episode is this? This is 25?
2: This is 25, also known as Venti Cinco.
1: Episode 25 of the two and a half marks podcast. My name is David Staben, and as always, I'm joined by my good friends Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay per view every single week. And tonight we have one of the most momentous nights in the history of our beautiful sport that we love so much. We have WCW Starcade 1998, the night the streak ended. Goldberg and Kevin Nash in the main event. This is a magnificent document of wrestling history. Very excited to talk about this one. What's going on,
0: boys? Wait, how many streaks in wrestling were there? Because you have Undertakers, you have Goldbergs. Like, does, does San Martino's count to you? I mean, he. I think he,
1: like, lost matches at times due to, like, countout or something. Like, I don't think people... Oh, like, okay. It was a title reign. I don't think it was necessarily a streak. What about, but, like, I mean, Oscar? We can talk about uh, Bo Dallas going seventeen and Bo on Raw back in the day. <laughs> talk about that.
2: What about Kurt Hawkins' streak? Yeah, Kurt Hawkins' streak That yeah,
1: The uh, I mean, Peter Avalon's got himself a streak going on AEW right about now. Does so, he really? Yeah, he's like they just did the big uh, the big blow off between him and Brandon Cutler to see who gets their first win. They're both like zero twenty seven.
0: Oh, like, oh oh oh. Yeah.
1: And uh, Brandon Cutler went over. So Peter Avalon still like 0 for 27 or something.
0: So, I love yeah. that you can make stars out of guys that can't win. It's, it's almost great. like the Jets, if the Jets had the ability to win at some point. You see, the Jets yeah. are
2: a laughing stock. They do not deserve to be talked about ever on any podcast.
0: Well, then let's yeah. talk about Starcade 98.
2: Yes. Something that's divisive, very divisive.
1: <laughs> I don't think Starcade 1998 is very divisive. I think in retrospect, pretty much everyone agrees that having Goldberg lose the streak to a guy who was already a majorly established star, by getting tased <laughs> was not the brightest booking idea that WCW ever had.
2: Oh, no, was, I'm not I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the entire card in general.
1: Oh, I mean, the, the card in general kind of sucks.
2: Yeah, it sucked. I, th- yeah, I was, didn't think it was that was bad. booking at this point?
0: Was it
1: Russo? Did they have Russo at this point? I feel like it was. I don't remember exactly.
2: I feel like whenever there's a question in doubt, it's always Russo.
1: No, this is pre-Russo. Russo came in '99, so I guess it was probably Bischoff.
0: I was gonna say it—it it felt like Bischoff was booking it because you know, like he was getting his ass kicked and then he won. Yeah, but I don't know. That was a low gonna, point. Yeah, we're gonna
1: we're gonna get into some. There are some various low points on this show. There are a few high points on this show, and well, I mean, like it sounds like we're pretty much ready to talk about Starcade '98. So uh,
0: I just want to write my love letter to Juventud Guerrero. Oh,
1: well, we get to do that in a second. (laughs) So I guess without further ado, let's remember some guys. So it is December 27th, 1998. We have 16,066 people piled in to the MCI Center in Washington, D.C., later known as the Verizon Center, now known as the Capital One Arena. Again, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, and we did – Uh, one of the WWE pay per views that was here, Survivor Series 09, was it? Yeah, Survivor Series 09. That I have been to a million Wizards games in this very building, and it is a very, very special place in my heart. But just a few weeks ago, we did Starcade 1988, now we fast forward a decade and do Starcade 1998 which comes at the end of a very interesting year for WCW. By this point, WCW, WCW, you know, had been dominating the ratings against WWF for a long time. But by this point, WWF had turned the corner. They break the famous 83-week streak in April of 98, and they are starting to do mad business. But at the same time, WCW is still... Doing pretty well, but starting to fade into second place. They're still buoyed, though, by one big star, major money-drawing household name that they have managed to build up and promote from the ground up, a guy by the name of Bill Goldberg, who (laughs) is in the main event tonight, working on a... One hundred seventy three and oh win streak that they keep hyping up. And it is the most bullshit number ever devised in wrestling. I mean, they basically started working the streak number from the beginning. And they didn't need to do it, but they did it anyway. So we have Tony Schiavone, Mike Tenay, and Bobby the Brain Heenan on the call. And we start out with a barn burner of a match It is a three-way match for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. So much talent in this ring for this match. We have Juventud Guerrera representing the Latino World Order, which is something that I genuinely had forgotten existed. We have a young Rey Mysterio Jr. who comes out while stomping on an LWO t-shirt. And we have Jewish wrestling legend, the champion, defending his title, Billy Kidman, just a ton of talent in this ring. And they do a bunch of cool spots. It's a really fun match to watch. They start out, Juvie is kind of acting obnoxious, so Kidman and Ray decide to join forces and kick his ass early on in this match. The alliance doesn't last super long. Ray accidentally clocks Kidman. They start to fight. Hoovi is cheering him on, and then they stop fighting to double clothesline the shit out of Hoovi, which was a funny spot at the beginning of the match. And then they go at it just a, a fun three way match where they hit a bunch of nice moves. Hoovi hits a springboard dive to the outside on both guys. Then he hits a really cool Hurricane Rana on Ray, who was on Billy Kidman's shoulders. He jumped up into the air, cleared Kidman, and hit the Hurricane Rana. Uh, Kidman hit a really cool Bulldog on Hoovi where he bounced off the top rope, and then as he spun around, he kicked Ray in the face. Which was really sweet. He goes on, goes for a top rope splash on Hoovy, gets booted in the face. Ray then comes, hits a split legged moonsault on Kidman, but Hoovy breaks up the pin. A bunch of more moves. Ray hits a hurricane rana on Hoovy to the outside. Kidman then goes after Ray, hits a guillotine leg drop for a two count. Then Kidman power bombs the hell out of Hoovy for another two count. Ray hits a springboard. Uh, hits an acai moonsault to the outside on everybody, then hits a springboard moonsault on Hoovey. Hoovy gets up, hits the Huvi driver, which looked like it absolutely killed Ray, but Kidman breaks up the pin. Hoovy then springboards Ray up into a top rope Rana on Kidman. Kidman then gets up, hits Hoovey with a sit-out powerbomb for a two-count, heading towards the end of the match. Kidman hits the shooting star press from the top rope to the outside. On both guys, it is complete carnage. It looks like Kidman is closing in on the win, but then out comes LWO leader Eddie Guerrero who walks out to a bunch of mo- a bunch of booze from the crowd. He distracts the referee, and then he goes in and attacks Billy Kidman in the ring. But then we get a little weird production mishap. They got all this interference going on. The camera then actually ends up missing the three count as... Hoovy gets him in a sunset flip, but then Ray runs in, kicks Hoovy over, and it allows Kidman to kind of reverse it into a pinfall. He gets the pin in 14 minutes, 55 seconds. The longest match on this show, and Billy Kidman retains the Cruiserweight Championship, not for the only time tonight.
0: Okay, this match made me mad, and it made me mad for one reason. We talked about this last week. David, what happened when Hoovy went to WWE?
1: He was riding a lawnmower, I believe.
0: <laughs> Vince had Vince had Juventus Guerrera and turned him into a racist caricature of, of a Mexican immigrant.
1: Not just Juventude, super crazy and psychosis, psychosis also.
0: But they aren't on this card, so I'm gonna be sad about Hoovy not getting his fair shake in WWE or F, whatever it was at the time. Like Oh my God. He just, you know, I i can't even say I'm super familiar with his work in, in Lucha Libre. Like, I just know that I watched him here and the dude was so cool. You can't tell me that you didn't watch this guy and just go, man, he's cool as hell. The movie's awesome, dude.
2: Right? He's got yeah. a lot of that attitude. Like, he's got a lot of spunk.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like, and you could kind of see him competing with like the same guys that Ray did. You know, Ray was like the... The peppy underdog or whatever, I can just see Hoovy being like, "Fuck you guys," and then beating them. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I was. Uh, I'll kind of go in the other direction. I. I mean, I think he's got that range. I honestly see him more of as like a heel that sort of like the miss who just kind of like wins when he picks his spots. Like, and that's kind of the vibe I got here. I'm sure like you could probably book him the other way.
0: Well, wasn't that I, wasn't
2: that kind of his character here though? I mean, that's what I felt. that's ex- exactly what I felt like because he kind of gave off like big little brother energy. Yes, like once especially it,
1: once... especially when yeah, he yeah, was yeah. around especially when he was around Eddie. Yeah, it was very yes, intense yes. little brother energy.
2: Which is fine too, because again again that bu- that makes the story make sense. Um I will say the moment I heard Latino World Order, which I had probably heard <laughs> about before and then forgot about at some point and then saw it again tonight, or watching Starcade, I was like, Do they really need to make everything about World Order? Like yeah, I, New World yeah. Yeah. Order? Because yeah. I feel That's like really... that broke that I feel like that was beating me over the head the entire night.
1: Yeah, well, I partially thought like, well, yes, I mean, this is WCW circa 1998, 1999. <laughs> and they by had one point, thing. Everybody is in some form or fashion of the NWO. <laughs> literally everybody except for like DDP and like the Horseman. And by this point, Mongo McMichael was in the Horseman. So like who cared?
2: Yeah, they mentioned that he and uh, Benoit were still in the Horseman. Like, oh, yeah. continuity.
1: And then, like, I don't know, maybe Dean Malenko, and that was it. Like, everyone else was in some kind of NWO. That's – I mean, that's it. But, yeah, it's 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 that, and also I get, like, not quite the same, but a little bit of Lucha House Party type vibe Yeah, it's like, hey, we're going to put the Mexican guys over here, and they'll just kind of do their little thing <laughs> over here. And
0: we're just going to kind of – you know, you can kind of ignore them if you want. Hey, what's stable here, – here's a, here's a trivia for you. What's stable – Seceded the LWO.
1: What's stable was it? The animals? Rascals? No. Was it the, was it the Filthy Animals? It I was the it? Filthy That's right. Animals. Yes. All right. Always, dude. Do not. I. If you're talking late '90s, <laughs> 2000, WCW, I'm on, bro. This is my wheelhouse.
0: David lives for Buff Bagwell matches from 2001.
1: I love Buff Bagmel. When I saw Ernest the Cat Miller walk onto my uh, computer screen last night, I was I was rolling deep. Okay.
2: <laughs> Oh, my but gosh.
0: The match, yeah. I mean, th- th- but it, you know, all, all other considerations aside, the match was cool. Uh, there was like a brutal Frankensteiner onto the outside. I forget who did it. Uh, I think it might have been like Who Onto Ray or something like that. And it looked like they were going to die. Uh, it, this is just what happens when you've got three guys who are awesome. You give them 15 minutes and you tell them, uh, just go get your shit in. Yeah, just go, just,
1: just go have a cool match.
2: Yeah. Is there, uh, i do have a question though and this is kind of like something i noticed throughout all of wrestling is there anything more i guess frustrating be, than being like labeled as a cruiserweight because i always feel like that just like puts a damper on every match that like you put them in
0: back then i don't think it carried the same connotations like in wcw that it does now
1: yeah i mean in terms of like the wcw cruiserweights always got a ton of time and got to go out and have cool matches and have, like... Yes. Like, they always had a segment of time that was reserved to them. It was the cruiserweight time and they got to do cool stuff and you got to see cool wrestling that you didn't get to see in WWF. Whereas today, I mean, did you guys even know that 205 Live still actually exists?
2: I did, It still
1: exists. I mean, not even I watched that shit. (laughs) Like...
2: I know I it mean, exists it really because does. I like, uh, crud. Who's the cruiserweight champion right now? Because I think he's really cool. I just forget his name. Oh, um, Legado uh, De- del Fantasma.
1: King, uh, yeah. Uh, used to be King Cuerno. I don't remember his name. And, uh, <laughs> I don't remember his name. <laughs> but, that's a,
2: but that's the whole thing. Like, I, I watched his match against, uh, Swerve Scott at Takeover 30. And I thought, damn, that was a great match. It was a phenomenal match. But again, because they're labeled as cruiserweights, one, they don't get consistent time on like regular TV. They have to live on 205 Live, which I'm not sure how many people watch. It might be ten people. And they never feel important, which is very frustrating for me. And again, I think my preconceived notion of cruiserweights affected how I felt about this match. I thought it was a fine match, but I just kind of I didn't wasn't as invested as it seems like you two were. And that kind of like frustrates me a little bit.
0: Well, no, that's actually gonna piggyback off of what I'm of what I was gonna kind of talk about after the next match was that it felt super weird with how much time this group got.
1: Yeah. But like, same... it just
0: didn't feel right. I, I enjoyed it because I yeah. like these guys, but it didn't feel right.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, at the same time, like, from a from a standpoint of we're watching the show and hoping to enjoy it and hoping to see cool stuff, like, who would you rather see get, like, an hour? No, absolutely. Or, yeah. Would you rather see Billy Kidman and Hoovey and Ray and Eddie Guerrero, or would you rather see, you know, Prince Iokea and Scott Norton? Get no, out, you're, you know? you're,
0: you're, you're, like you're definitely right, but it's just, it just feels out of place. Even though I'm glad that it happened like that,
2: can we talk but, about I mean, how that's... Kidman stole Cena's look? Or Cena stole Kidman's Don look? John
0: Cena stole Kidman. Billy, Billy, like, Billy, Billy Kidman. Billy Kidman
1: invented wrestling in jorts, <laughs> and they should never have let anyone steal that from him. John right, so Cena should still be coming out in cool ass throwback J's.
2: I just there. hope Cena got the okay from Kidman.
1: I hope that he did. I mean, hey. I think Kidman, Kidman was working as an agent in WWE. Or he might have actually been wrestling on SmackDown when Cena came up. And I he worked as an agent for a long time in WWE. So I'm hoping that Cena had the professional courtesy to go up to Billy Kidman before he started wrestling in jorts and asked him for permission to do so. I hope he did that. So otherwise, it's, that is really kind of shady to me, honestly. I mean, I think you really need to show the proper respect to the trailblazers of this industry. But, I mean, I thought this was a cool match, man. I really enjoyed it a lot. And that's not all from the Cruiserweights. What? So Eddie Guerrero, as I mentioned, he comes out, and he gets involved in the match, and he tries to tip the scales for Whovie, but Hoovy ends up losing anyway. And he is just freaking out about it. So he grabs a mic, and he starts berating Whovie, and he starts berating Rey Mysterio. And he says, if you want something done, you better do it yourself. So he challenges Kidman, who has already gone to the back, to a match. Kidman comes back out. He accepts. And he says, basically, let's do it right now or you're a bitch." So they just do <laughs> it now. They just, they, they just do the match now. So Billy Kidman, who has just won a triple threat match and retained the title, is now in another championship match against the great Eddie Guerrero. So Eddie – just comes out of strong right out of the opening bell because he didn't just wrestle a 15-minute match where he took a bunch of bumps. He stomps him down, and he's getting help from the outside from Hoovy, but Ray is outside as well. He kind of takes the role of uh, Kidman's quarterman in this match. He is out there, sort of helping Kidman out whenever Hoovy is trying to interfere. He's out there shutting that stuff down. So Eddie. He works the knee for a long time. He puts him in an Indian deathlock forever. Kidman fires back. It's a big comeback. He hits a bulldog. He hits the 10 punches in the corner, puts Eddie into a sleeper hold that Eddie's able to drop it into a stone cold stunner, which of course they don't call it that because stone cold is killing them in the ratings at this point for WWF. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, while the ref is turned around, Eddie takes off one of his steel-toed boots that he wore out to the ring because he's wrestling in street clothes. He smashes Kidman in the head with a steel-toed boot, but when the ref turns back around, Kidman kicks out. Eddie hits a brain buster. He goes up to put the match away with the frog splash, but Kidman gets up, superplexes him for a two-count. Billy then reverses the, a powerbomb into a face buster. He hits a slingshot guillotine leg drop for a two-count. Coming towards the end of this match, he, uh, we get a bunch of interference. Just kind of wild stuff. Some somebody comes out to help Eddie that they don't really ever clearly show, but it, another person gets involved. Really bad camera work. Couldn't really tell who it was. Um, but Ray comes in. He helps out Kidman. Eddie gets crotched on the top rope. Billy Kidman then hits the Shooting Star Press and. Pins Eddie Guerrero. So, once again, Billy Kidman retains the cruiserweight title in 10 minutes and 49 seconds. First match was better. Neither match the fans were, like, super into. But the finish of the second match, Kidman winning again, got a pretty big pop.
0: Put Billy Kidman over, baby.
2: (laughs) Make Billy Kidman a star.
1: Well, I mean, people for. I mean, like, don't forget that, like, there did seem to be a time in, like, 98, 99, where wcw kind of toyed with the idea of like really pushing kidman like remember he did the angle with hollywood hogan where he like he like got a really kind of shitty win over hogan but then they never actually put him over and had hogan like just job him out and make him look like a loser but like they kind of played for a little bit and like really putting him over as a big star and then never actually did it because that would require like maybe taking some of the shine off of like Hogan and Nash and Hall and giving it to somebody new and God
0: forbid,
1: God forbid we ever do that. So oh. I don't know. Match is not- a lot slower than the first one, but still fine.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm gonna say I definitely like Eddie as the WWE character, not so much the WCW character. The lie, cheat, steal. Yeah, and like, like we've talked about it before, how he's kind of a tweener in WWE. Like he lies and cheats, but like. It's Eddie, so it's cool. Yeah, here, like he's like the smarmy heel, but it's hard now in retrospect to think of him like that because he's so beloved.
1: Yeah, when yeah. you when you see him walk out, he's trying to be this asshole heel, but like you already have just so much love for him. Yeah, just by seeing him because he's Eddie, you have that response that you love him. But if, you, he you did remember, play the
2: role great. Like, as a smarmy heel, he did that perfectly. He, and
0: I, I, I didn't even think he did. Like, I thought the promo that he cut before the match was kind of boring. And I thought he kind of, like, struggled with it.
1: Yeah, and, I, I kind like, of agree. I didn't think it was that great.
2: I, I kind of, like, chalked it up to it. Uh, it's like, oh, it's a, he's, an emotion, like, he's in an emotional state right now. And that's kind of, like, the whole thing that he was doing. I,
0: I, and I guess, but, like, it still just didn't – it came across – it didn't come across as if, he was, as if he was in an emotional state. It came across as if Eddie Guerrero was trying to play a guy – who was in an emotional state.
2: Okay, I could see that. You know Uh, what I mean? I I did get a kick out of him calling Kidman a cream puff.
0: (laughs) I mean, like, yeah, Eddie's still cool as hell, and he says funny stuff. But no, I just couldn't get into this match, and I wanted to like it. It just didn't, the crowd didn't really care. So it felt like this whole first hour, which, by the way, was preceded by a QVC ad, which was funny. Like, it just didn't feel like it really mattered that much. I don't know. It just, I, I couldn't really get invested. Even I though think, the first match was cool.
1: And I think in fairness, the fans weren't really into that much this whole show, except for, like, maybe DDP and then the main event. Everyone's yeah. there for the main event. Everyone's yeah. there for Goldberg and Nash. And
2: I like, also I also did really like the fact that they did this, like, follow-up immediately. Like, you could have done a, like, let some matches go on. Like, you could have had the... Uh, Norman Smiley versus Prince Iakea, and then have Ernest Miller take on Perry Saturn, and then you do a backstage scene where, like, Eddie's talking crap, and then Kidman overhears it, and then set it up the same way.
1: Well, no, and I think, I mean, I think that they did it this way, because it is like, you know, we're really trying to put over Kidman. Like, he's he's a bad enough dude that right after he had a 15-minute triple threat match, someone's talking shit, so he's going to walk out and be like, yo, fight me right now, and then they'll just do it, and then he'll win again because he's a bad dude, you know? I just wish he kind of... That's him getting put over.
2: I just <laughs> kind of wish he showed a little bit more emotion because he kind of came off very robotic.
1: No one ever said that Billy Kidman was a was an incredible promo. Oh, he's,
0: he's, uh, he's not out here cutting promos on people. He's just out here kicking their ass. Yeah, he's out here to
1: do the shooting star press and look like he's about to die every time <laughs> he does it, which is why everyone loves him. But, yeah, I mean, this was good. I thought it was fine. First match was better. You know, in retrospect, considering some of the other stuff we had to watch on the show, I'm glad that they had the cruiserweights take up as much time as they did. I agree. Less time with like Brian Adams and Scott Norton.
0: But we still had to watch it.
1: We still had to watch it, but thankfully it wasn't too long.
0: Well, then let's get to the next thing that was bad.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we have next up. I mean, it's it's kind of just a match. This is weird because it's Starcade, right? It's supposed <laughs> to be like the biggest show of the year. Like it's Starrcade. It's supposed to be, if not WCW's answer to WrestleMania, it's supposed to be one of their big, big shows. It's not just any regular pay-per-view. But the majority of this card is just just it's just a match and this is like the quintessential example we have the big wiggle norman smiley a guy that nobody remembers against an even more forgettable man prince iokea in a match that i don't know if they had a story behind it i think they just kind of said hey let's put norman smiley and prince iokea out here on a pay-per-view and just let them wrestle so it's, I mean, it's a, it's a match. It's fine, you know. I've seen worse matches in my life. Uh, Norman Smiley, a legitimately very good submission wrestler who kind of gets forgotten, but was always a very good worker, uh, is just sexually gyrating after every move, hitting the big wiggle. Everyone loves him. Um, there's, I mean, there is genuinely like, I, I don't know if there's ever been less heat for a wrestling match than this one because I think like. Most other people, it's like who like like most most of the fans are like, hey, why is this match here? Why do I care about this? So, you know, they do this match, it's okay. Smiley works the left arm for a really long time. He hits the double underhook slam or he holds Prince Ayokea up for like ten minutes and then he puts him down, which which looked good. He gets a two count out of that. Prince Iokea hits a springboard crossbody, but Smiley rolls through on it. Then he locks in the crossface chicken wing. Prince Ioka taps out. 11 minutes and 31 seconds. This was actually one of the longer matches on the show. Actually, 11 seconds longer than the main event. They gave Norman Smiley more time than Goldberg. And, you know, he he hits the big wiggle a bunch of times at the end of the match in the ring. And
0: Norman Smiley wins. Angela, what did the announcer spend this entire time talking about? Uh, not, I, I wasn't really listening <laughs> anything, literally anything that was not Norman Smiley or uh, Prince Ayurkeia. like they just talked about everything else it was wild it, it wasn't even they didn't even attempt to talk about the match so <laughs> why was I supposed to give a shit about it
2: I mean I got a kick from uh, Norman Smiley from doing the big wiggle to just saying who's your daddy a bunch of times <laughs> I thought it was funny um, I also kind of got a kick from the fact that like it's very easy to see modern day comparisons like with Zack Sabre and like Tim Thatcher to Norman Smiley like just kind of like those submission <laughs> styles like the I,
0: mean, I think that's a stretch but I'll, I'll take you for it's it. it's not that
1: much of a stretch to be honest with you I mean he's really? a guy that came from that uh, British wrestling uh, like he got trained in England he came up um you know trained under carl gotch he trained with oh, okay. Legos, like okay he i apologize the guy who, he's a guy who legitimately like came from that world you know what i mean yeah and
2: i looked that up too like to just see like okay because i've never heard of this guy before Oh, you to look it up too. No, i No, i because i like wa- i watched it the first time, i'm like okay this guy i'm getting the, that kind of vibe let me look him up he's still a trainer for nxt i believe that's uh what i saw on his he's wikipedia been, he's
1: been a trainer for developmental in WWE, like way before NXT was a thing, he's been working for WWE
0: for years. Like, like it, it, did he work like FCW and stuff like that? Yeah, he he worked FCW. Like, he's been there forever. But hey, okay, but here's here's a good question. Wait, or, hold on. Are you talking about Norman or Prince UK right? Norman.
1: I don't know what Prince Ayukay is.
0: Being. How perpetually horny was he?
1: Oh, so horny! <laughs> but that's why we loved him. He was horny, he, you know, it's, it was
2: 1998. Everybody was horny. Hey, you know? got biggie over. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, Norman Smiley was always kind of a, I, I remember seeing him when I was a kid, like when I started watching TNA in like the mid two thousands, he was on and he like, he wrestled in it for a while. So I remember him. He was always kind of just like an entertaining, like endearing sort of oddball character who was actually a pretty good wrestler and like, you know, probably easy to forget about. But I liked him; he was cool. So, you know that's that's my that's my Norman Smiley take. I wish him well.
2: Less heat than a freezer.
1: Yeah, no one cared about this. One. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I saw Norman Smiley and I was like, oh, that's nice. I, I remember him. He was he was a he was a guy. You know, we're remem- we're all at remembering guys and watching Norman Smiley. I certainly remembered a guy, and that's really the greatest gift of all. So we move from Norman Smiley and Prince Iokea remembering some guys to remembering some more guys in this next match. But real quick, we have Scott Hall, who we will see again later in the show in the main event. He comes out to a big pop. He's wearing an Outsiders t-shirt, his old tag team with Kevin Nash. Maybe a little little foreshadowing there, perhaps. And he cuts a kind of a babyface promo on the entrance ramp, talking about how 1998's been a tough year. But he's going to prove himself again in 1999, which, of course, I'm sure we all remember, was a banner year for Scott Hall. It was the year that Scott Hall's career peaked, I think. But it was not, he did the, uh, the two-sweet thing with the crowd, which was nice to remember that that was a thing all the way back then. So, next matchup, we have Ernest the Cat Miller.
0: Oh, Jesus, here we go. We're
1: talking about remembering guys from WCW. Ernest the Cat Miller... He is next up in action. He comes out with uh, just a a walking stereotype in Sonny Ono. Terrible gimmick. Comes out to a sick guitar riff. He's wearing a leopard print robe. He looks like a killer. He cuts a heel promo about how fans should appreciate him more. And he's going to whoop some ass. The man whose ass he's about to whoop is Perry Saturn. Real life, just scary ass dude who... (laughs) is kind of coming out looking like sort of a diet version of Big Papa Pump Scott Steiner.
2: (laughs) I describe Perry Saturn as looking like what non-wrestling fans think all wrestlers look like.
1: Yes. He is a sight to behold on this night in 1998. Uh, Cat has the mic. He says, I'll give you five seconds to leave. And if I turn around and you're not here, I'm going to whip your ass. So Perry Saturn just cold cocks him and just beats him (laughs) down um you know saturn who legitimately was a very very good worker a very good technical wrestler does a lot of mat stuff he had some great suplexes um cat does some karate shit on him for a little bit but then saturn hits a big back suplex hits a power slam for a two count he hits a swinging neck breaker uh goes for a double axe handle off the top but then eats a thrust kick out of the air from ernest the cat miller cat hits another one he tells sonny ono come get in this ring big dog Sonny Ono runs in. He tries to kick Perry as Cat is holding his arms back, but Perry gets out of the way, so Sonny accidentally kicks Ernest to Cat Miller instead, accidentally. Miller gets pissed. He boots Sonny out of the ring, turns around. Perry Saturn picks him up. Death Valley driver, one, two, three. Perry Saturn wins in seven minutes and seven seconds. This was a match, ladies and gentlemen.
2: Another (laughs) one with no heat. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will say though, I did like I was disappointed with Ernest the Cat Miller because one, we didn't get the good theme, and no, two, we
1: did not. This was not the good Ernest the Cat Miller theme <laughs> that they ended up reusing for Brodus Clay like 15 years later in WWE.
2: And then, like, I, I don't know, I wasn't a fan of his interview work. The promo was fine, but like, we did get the good theme. I was legitimately like surprised by Perry Saturn because he's someone I had again, and I've never heard of. He looked like a walking, just stereotypical wrestler, but in the ring, I'm like, "Oh crap! He can actually sell. He has some moves to him." I'm Like, okay, Barry Saturn, he's a and guy.
0: Like, I'll say, how much Barry Saturn have you seen? Because, like, literally he's none. Been, oh, like he's always been like pretty cool, and like, like he's got, he got a, a hor- <laughs> He's got a horrible name.
2: I'm just like, okay. He's no, a- bro, wait. Do you do you not know that he got a mop over? Oh yeah. Oh wait, he's the guy that got the mop over. He was the dude. Mop he guy. got a mop over. That's incredible. Mops.
1: A- the mop's name was Moppy.
2: <laughs> it's kind of
0: like head.
1: Yeah. But yeah, like Perry, Perry Saturn, Perry Saturn is legitimately a guy that like I myself like watch like tape on and kind of try to pattern myself off of a little bit in the ring. Like dude is awesome. I love, I love watching him wrestle.
2: Could do, could do everything well. Like it legitimately was shocking to me just to see him come out with like looking like that and then actually put together a really good match, even though the cat didn't really contribute any to it. Jake, I believe you were about to make a point about head before I cut you off. No,
0: I was just going to say it reminded me like of the head thing. Okay. Well, we can all remember head
1: for a little
2: bit. Hey Jake, what does everybody want? Uh, head.
1: (laughs) Yep. And this is, I mean, this is at the same time in WWE, or WWF at the time, that you have mid-card acts that are actually, like, over and entertaining, like Al Snow with Head. And then here you have, well, we'll just put Ernest the Cat Miller out there on our pay-per-view, and he'll just kind of do something for a little while. And then they shuffle him off, and that's it. So we get a, a great Ric Flair promo. He is just in fine form. Just spitting fire on Eric Bischoff for their upcoming match later on in the night. That also backstage, you get Conan, who is also wrestling later on, talking a bunch of shit with Buff Bagwell and Scott Steiner. And this whole, I I I want to mention this because this was great. Um, The little confrontation gets broken up by Lex Luger who, just to remind you that it was 1998, is wearing a FUBU baseball jersey.
2: FUBU, baby. Which was a look for him. Certainly Fantastic. a look.
1: Fantastic, Really was tremendous seeing Lex Luger wearing that. It was uh, like, like he was in a genuine music video. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> Shout it out was to, awesome. Nathan,
0: uh, what, what's his name? Is like, oh, my gosh. Who's the guy from Shark Tank that made FUBU? Uh...
1: I've never watched Shark Tank before, so I don't know <laughs> who's on Shark Tank.
0: Keep talking. I'm gonna. I know.
1: I know that it. Mark Cuban. It was. A, it's not Mark Cuban, right?
0: No, it's uh, uh, Damon, Damon John. That's Damon who it is.
1: John. All right. Just Shout out, out Damon to Damon John. Uh, all right. Respect to a Damon John for uh, for for Lex Luger's baseball jersey in '98. This is <laughs> a Shark great. Tank
2: podcast. Now he's looking it's great.
1: Lex Luger was serving looks in '98. So we have again just another match that is just here for some reason. In this, in this, the biggest pay-per-view of the year. So we have a tag team match on one side representing NWO Hollywood, a.k.a. NWO Black and White, which at this point was the heel faction of NWO. We could kind of get into this a little more later when we talk about Nash and Goldberg, because that's where it's a little more important. But we have, from NWO Black and White, Brian Adams, formerly known as Crush in WWF, And a big old boy we've talked about before on this podcast. Absolute unit, former IWGP heavyweight champion, Scott Norton. The absolute size of this man.
2: Huge. Massive.
1: Absolute unit. Unbelievable. Just awe-inspiring. Like, incredible how large Scott Norton was.
2: We should build castles out of whatever Scott Morton is made out of.
1: (laughs) Literally, the giant, the big show was on this card, and he was not like the most impressive person on the show for how large they were. It was Scott (laughs) Norton, Just, I mean, unfathomably big. They are taking on Fit Finley, who we all love. We all remember him from SmackDown in the mid-2000s. And so this one kind of pissed me off. When I kind of just very like briefly glanced at the card, I saw I I saw this guy and I was like, oh, Jerry Lynn. That's awesome. I love Jerry Lynn. Like he was a great worker. We all love Jerry Lynn. It's not Jerry Lynn. This is actually some guy named Jerry Flynn. (laughs) It's not Jerry (laughs) Lynn. No, it is some guy that I do not remember named Jerry Flynn.
2: The very first note I have is Jerry Flynn does not equal Jerry Lynn.
1: No, he's (laughs) basically just some generic big guy that I had no memory of whatsoever who is not nearly as good or cool as Jerry Lynn. Uh, So this is, again, just... It's kind of a slow, sort of boring match. Uh, It's mostly Adams and Norton beating the hell out of Fit Finley and just kind of trading off for the the length of this match. Uh, Jerry Flynn, who supposedly was a martial arts guy... He gets in and does some kicks, but then uh, the NWO team gets back on top because of the interference of the guy that accompanied them to the ring, Vincent, better known as Virgil in the WWF. Ted DiBiase's manservant, who is now a supposed to be a cool NWO guy, It's wearing just terrible looking sunglasses. It's not a good vibe for anybody. I, uh, you know, this this. Seemingly goes on forever. Uh, Jerry Flynn comes in. He hits a bunch of kicks. But then Scott Norton just power bombs the hell out of him and pins him. Eight minutes and 56 seconds. The NWO team of Scott Norton and Brian Adams wins the match.
0: Really boring. This happened. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a match, wasn't it?
1: I did enjoy this match just for the sole reason that, Of how loudly Scott Norton was calling spots in this match. Oh, I didn't hear it. Oh, I loved it. That's one of my favorite
0: things.
1: (laughs) Scott Norton was basically yelling out his spots in this match. I thought it was great.
0: That's, uh, listen, guys calling out spots is one of my favorite things because, like, I love, like, the inner workings of wrestling. So when you hear a guy, like, like, I one of my favorite ones is, like, you can hear Cena, like, clear as day be like, Irish flip the bulldog. And then, like, they do it. I think it was, like, against (laughs) Sheamus or something.
2: Oh, my gosh. Um, I will say there was one quote I heard. It was like, I enjoy watching Norton wrestle. He's like a big dump truck. Same Bobby the Brain Same.
1: He is like <laughs> a big dump truck. I mean, that's what he is like. Can you imagine what Scott Norton bench pressed?
2: Ooh, a lot. I
0: mean, oh, my
1: God.
2: All, uh, actually, not all. He bench pressed all. He benched to all of it. <laughs> he
1: had the sliders turned all the way up.
0: Hey, I, but, okay, we can talk about how good Scott Norton was and all that, but how much freaking mileage did WCW get out of that NWO theme song?
2: Oh, my gosh.
0: They just played that shit for everybody, didn't they? Yeah, they played it for everybody. It's a
2: good theme, but, I mean, oh, my is, God. But,
0: like They played it for everyone.
2: Can, yeah. we, can we talk about, like, because I know, I'm not sure if it was this part or later on, but, like, they showed the Bischoff thing, like, the Bischoff angle. And like the backstory of him joining NWO Hollywood. Uh, is he biting on Vince or did Vince bite off Bischoff? Because they just feel like the same character.
1: I mean, I think there's a, I think, I think Vince is kind of just a, a sui generis guy, you know? Yes. Like Vince is just being Vince, you know? And yeah. Eric Bischoff is just kind of trying to be an obnoxious heel, which he's good at. So, I mean he's Bischoff, we hate him.
2: Yeah. But like
0: I hate Bischoff for different reasons than I hate Vince. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like like I can talk as much shit as I want on Vince, but like it's Vince McMahon. Like he's done a, like he he did a lot for wrestling, but like Eric Bischoff, I don't know. I feel like I, I actually I, I think I know what it is. Vince, I don't feel like he wants to be a star. He did it because he knew it was good business. I feel like Bischoff wanted to be a star.
2: I agree with you completely. Ooh, that's Even, actually think, said perfectly.
0: I think that's you know a I very mean, good
1: assessment, yeah.
0: yeah. And, and I think that's kind of why I like I hate Vince because he's a good heel. I hate Bischoff because he's a whiny little, I don't know, like... Runt.
1: Plus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with you. But, I mean, we, we're, we're going to get a lot of... We're going to get a very hefty serving of Bischoff in a few minutes.
0: Oh, Jesus. Well, Wait, I, hold I, on. Do you... Are we done with this match? Not unless you have something to say about it. Well, I was just going to ask if you were going to talk about the Bischoff promo next. Um, I was going to mention it.
1: I wasn't okay. going to like go super in depth on it or anything, but I was yeah, just I was going, going to say
0: that I was just going to say this was the first time that I noticed that it was short-haired Bischoff, which is undoubtedly cursed.
1: Yes, very inferior version of Bischoff. I uh, would and agree. They,
0: and they also made a Clinton reference in the promo. That's all.
1: Well, it was 1998, man. Exactly. You had to. He was the current president. You were legally obligated. It's a current reference, man. But one, one last little, you know, piece of trivia about Scott Norton that I think is fun. Scott Norton actually got into pro wrestling out of the highly competitive world of professional arm wrestling. He was a world champion professional arm wrestler, and before he was a wrestler, even appeared in the classic Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie, Over the Top.
2: That is a fun fact.
1: Yeah. That is very fun.
2: (laughs) Also, Bischoff stole my haircut.
1: He did. He has a very Angelo haircut. Oh, God. But yeah, Bischoff comes out, as you mentioned, he cuts a heel promo, basically saying that Ric Flair, who he is wrestling later on tonight, is going to die... And he's only wrestling Bischoff because he needs the money. He's blown all of his money, being Ric Flair and living the Ric Flair lifestyle. It's pretty obnoxious. We don't need to spend too much time on it. Next up, a world TV title match. The challenger is, of course, the great Chris Jericho. Uh, Unfortunately, WWE Network overdubbed. The theme. So we got his uh WWE theme song, Break the Walls Down, when he came out, which just was a little disorienting to hear at this point because I just didn't expect it.
0: Wait, I was okay, I was so confused. I was like, how did people not recognize it was Jericho if they had already used this? No, this it was theme a before?
1: It was a different theme.
0: Right. And I knew that, but I was like, maybe I'm just going insane. Thank you for validating. Yeah, they 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 overdubbed it. They do that sometimes. Yeah. Especially
1: with WCW, yeah. because I don't know, maybe they don't have all the rights to the theme songs or whatever it's really bad in ecw because like every theme is overdubbed and it's <laughs> kind of like waters down pops and everything kind of sucks it ruins the the ambiance a little bit but whatever it's you know we're talking about licensing fees here uh jericho comes out accompanied by his uh bodyguard ralphus <laughs>
2: <laughs> absolute unit of a man
0: <laughs> my wrestling
1: it, name yeah that pairing it was always a great comedy pairing Him and Ralphus. Jericho advertised as the leader of the Jericho-holics. He cuts a promo. He wishes everyone a happy Jericho holiday. And it's just a ridiculous promo that only Chris Jericho could have ever cut, and it was great. Uh, Conan comes out, the world television champion, defending his title. His drip level in 98 was unreal. Um, Member of the NWO Wolf Pack, which was the Babyface, Wolf, uh, the Babyface NWO faction, they had an awesome theme song, and they were very over at this point in time. Conan, who just looks great, I mean, the guy looks like a freaking star. Uh, starts out hot, he clothes uh, clotheslines Chris over the top rope, but then he tries to go after him, eats some guardrail, and then Chris takes over for a while. Um, He's wearing him down, but then Conan comes back, hits a big lariat, hits an Alabama slam for a two-count. Jericho comes back, hits the Lion Salt for a two-count, tries to go for a springboard dive to the outside, but he misses and eats the steel steps. They get back in the ring. Jericho teases the, the Lion Tamer submission hold. We get a ref bump out of that. Jericho hits him with the belt, but Conan kicks out. Conan then hits the X-Factor face buster then he locks in the tequila sunrise submission hold jericho taps out in 7 minutes and 27 seconds and conan retains the world television title and it was a match you know it wasn't that bad i, I, I would have th- liked i would have i think they could have given it some of the the time they gave to jerry Flynn. <laughs> you know cuz it's jericho and conan was cool but whatever man
2: i definitely enjoyed this match more so for the characters involved than the match match itself like Jericho coming out, cutting the promo, having the TV title belt, even though he's not actually the champion. All perfect heel things. And then Ralphus and that white t shirt with the Sharpie marker writing on it. Just, that's wrestling at its finest. And then Conan comes out looking like a million bucks, a guy that should be a top guy. Did he ever get a world title opportunity or around the world title at all he, in WCW? Uh,
1: not in WCW, I don't think at all. He was like. An unbelievable, fucking crazy, insane draw in Mexico for years. Like, I do know that. Major, like, mainstream celebrity in Mexico. But, like, n- I never, like, I don't think progressed kind of bat- past this level in yeah, no, I don't
2: think so either. That's upsetting because, like, the two times he's been on the podcast, again, every he's just the oozing charisma guy. Because, like, here, it's off the chart how much he's oozing charisma. I would say I would say no one has oozed as much charisma so far as Conan here.
1: The dude has the look. Yes. You know? The look. When you talk about guys having the look, you're talking about Conan.
2: Exactly. And that is it. And I love the face buster into the tequila sunrise. The tequila sunrise, very cool looking move, even though like it doesn't like if you think about it, it probably isn't any more like power level wise than a half Boston crab. But still great, great cool, name though. Great name. It looks cool because you've trapped the arm as well. But again, very solid match. I think this kind of like helps the card a little bit. But yeah, this is uh, probably second best on the card. Like, but like, 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 sure, like, like it was a good match, but like it's a starcade. Yes.
0: You know what I mean? Like this should have been like Jericho Flair. You're right. Or Conan Flair or the, something like that.
2: And the more you guys are saying it, the more it does kind of like, because again, I, I thought Starcade was like the big one. But I was very easily confused because the storylines here feel very incomplete, if at all. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also weird because, like, again, if you're treating Cape like it's supposed to be, like, WrestleMania or a SummerSlam or something, like, just the choices of guys who are wrestling. Like, we see someone like Scott Steiner, he's backstage for, like, two seconds. If this is supposed to be a big pay-per-view, like, he's there, Why isn't Scott Steiner, why why can't you find a match for Scott Steiner instead of Prince Iokea? I mean, this is their, like, this is their mania, right? What is, why is that?
2: Where is Buff Bagwell?
1: Like, okay, Conan and Jericho, that's fine. You know, hey, like, two guys, you give give them a title match, do whatever. But, like, why isn't, like, Luger wrestling? Why isn't Steiner wrestling? Yeah, even Buff Bagwell. I mean, these are the guys who were your stars. Booker T. Where the hell is Booker T?
0: But he Macho- wasn't here. Is Macho Man hurt during Where's- this
1: time? Uh, Macho Man was basically not really wrestling at this I think
0: this he was, point. like, writing at this point or something like that.
1: Yeah, I, I think Macho Man was-, was basically done.
0: Where the hell is Sting? There's
1: no Sting. Was Sting hurt? He's no right. Sting- Where was Sting? Sting maybe was hurt at this point, but also, like, I don't know.
0: I'm gonna listen to the 83 weeks for this here soon. I mean I'm gonna
1: have to like I mean like I'm just kinda throwing out names. It might be that some of these people were injured so they couldn't wrestle. But like, you know, they had they they do the angle where going into the, the 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 Bischoff Flair match, like the four horsemen are supposedly banned from the arena. But like this would be a hell of a lot better show if you had Chris Benoit wrestling on it.
2: I think, hey, I, would, I think I would take Mongo at this point.
0: Damn, You just named a ton of guys who weren't like, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Honestly.
1: Yeah. No Arn. Yeah. They don't have Arn, but Arn, Arn wasn't,
2: I know he's probably like, Arn like, was
1: basically done wrestling by this point. Maybe I think it was around. I think like by this point he was pretty much done wrestling, but still like, come on, dude. Like they this is supposed to be a WrestleMania or whatever. And you are not sending your best. You're supposed to send your best, WCW.
2: But don't worry. You have all of the NWO's.
1: God. Oh, yeah. you got all those. Where's Eugene Nagata at? Where's Yuji? I want a Eugene Nagata match. Bullshit. Terrible book. <laughs> so next up, we've been talking about this match a little bit. It is Eric Bischoff and Ric Flair long build up to this one basically for years and years for whatever reason Eric Bischoff just kind of didn't like Ric Flair and sort of on TV always kind of did whatever he could to sort of humiliate him a little bit I never really understood why this was but they kind of book, booked Rick Flair like trash for years and he was always fine because he's Ric Flair but like really I mean like like look at some of the stuff they had him do Oof. In the like the late nineties, 2000, 2001. It was pretty bad. Like the guy, it's Rick freaking Flair. But okay, so it's Rick Flair taking on Eric Bischoff, who of course is not a wrestler. Eric Bischoff comes out, billed as easy e Eric Bischoff, Jesus. which made me just laugh my ass off when the when the ring announcer said that. Flair comes out, he gets a big reaction because as we all know, DC is Flair Country. So Flair basically just beats the hell out of him for a long time because he's a wrestler, and Eric Bischoff is not a wrestler. He beats him down, he fish hooks him, he chops him, he knee drops him in the head. Then Rick starts arguing with the ref, and Eric Bischoff takes the opportunity to come in and get some offense. He drops him with a kick because, of course, Eric Bischoff was like a karate guy or whatever. I think he actually like legitimately kind of did karate. So, whatever he would wrestle, he would do a bunch of kicks and like pretend he was Jackie Chan. So, and everyone had to sell his kicks, like he's actually gonna hurt you with his kicks. But Eric drops him with a kick and he kicks him some more. He bangs Flair's head off the guardrail. And of course, it's Ric Flair on a pay per view. So he juices and he starts bleeding everywhere. (laughs) They got Ric Flair bleeding for Eric Bischoff. But then Flair comes back. He hits Eric Bischoff in the nuts several times right in front of the referee. But because it's Ric Flair, he's allowed to punch people in the nuts, and it's okay. He's the only guy who's ever been able to have nut shots legal just for him in wrestling history, and I really respect that. He rips Bischoff's shirt off and starts chopping the bare chest, which the fans love. Put his shirt back on, please. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really into seeing Eric Bischoff shirtless. There's some people who, you know, they t- end up taking their shirts off, and you're like, damn, I'm glad that guy took his shirt off, like Roman Reigns, for instance.
0: Vince yeah. McMahon even.
1: Yeah, Vince McMahon was looking. I mean, he took a shirt off, and you are like, damn, all right, Vince. I don't know why you're wearing a shirt in the first place. <laughs> Eric Bischoff, we could have missed it. You know, we could have avoided it. <laughs> but so, yeah, we end up getting a ref bump. Flair just takes a big swing and boots Bischoff in the nutsack again. Hits a couple suplexes. He locks in the figure four. Bischoff is tapping out, but the ref is dead. Who runs down but Kurt Hennig, best known, of course, as the father of Curtis Axel and nothing else. Kurt Hennig runs down, the former Mr. Perfect. He hands him a foreign object, which I couldn't really make out exactly what it was. It was some metal thing. Eric grabs the foreign object. He uses it to knock Flair cold and the referee wakes up just in time to count the one, two, three and Eric Bischoff pins Rick Flair in seven minutes and eight seconds in, I believe the shortest match on this card. Actually, no, the Perry Saturn, Ernest Miller match was one second, uh, shorter than this match. So it's about was a tie a, for shortest match.
0: This wasn't even a fun squash. Like, it was a squash match for almost the whole thing with Flair just beating the shit out of him, for the most part. And but it wasn't even like a fun one. Yeah, know, it was weird.
1: Like I just kind of almost you know when you when you do stuff like this, like the idea is like oh well, you get the babyface wrestler in there to beat down the annoying manager yeah. or authority figure or whoever that everyone hates. He's finally going to get his hands on him and beat him down. But at this point, it's like, I don't really care enough about Bischoff to really get into like, oh, yeah, Ric Flair is finally kicking his ass. Like, you know, like, I don't care. Just whatever, dude. This is this sucks. I don't know. I wasn't into it that much.
2: I did. I did not care at all because it it feels like a absolute waste of flair. And flair after flair cuts a great, great promo early on that makes me want to fight for flair. And this is how this match goes. It's just awful.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, hey, you're putting Eric Bischoff. You gotta put over, Bischoff over. You're putting Bischoff over Flair. It could you know, it could be worse. You could be putting the title on Vince Russo. Or David Arquette.
0: They would listen, no company would ever.
1: Probably not, but I don't know. Sometimes sometimes you wonder about this company. But they never did that, and that's why I'm watching WCW on my TV Monday night show every single Monday night, watching all my favorite stars (laughs) on TNT, and I'm having a great time. But man. Yeah, so Eric Bischoff beats Ric Flair. He gets the pin. And this actually happened. So our uh, co-main event of the evening, we have a one-on-one match between the Giants, better known, of course, as the Big Show, Who I think is basically now appearing every single week on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. I mean, every single week we're getting some iteration of Big Show.
2: Once every we are legally contracted to once every three weeks have Big Show somewhere on the podcast.
1: And considering I just basically ranted about how much I don't like the Big Show last time we talked about the Big Show, it was not the most welcome sight. But this is the giant who is a different guy. He's got long hair. He's a lot tanner. He's wearing the Andre the Giant, like single strap uh, singlets. It's a whole different look. Objectively
0: is, a high power level though.
1: Yes. I mean, this is this is the version of Big Show who appeared, of course, in the Waterboy as Captain Insano. <laughs> this is Captain Insano right here. Big, uh, the Giant is wrestling, of course, one of the great baby faces of WCW. Diamond Dallas Page, who has this entrance that lasts forever where he's running through the crowd and jumping around with all the fans. Everyone loves him. DDP, who is one of my all-time favorites. He, early on in this match, he is massively outsized in this match, but he's winning early on with speed and technique. He smashes him over the head with a trash can at one point, but then the giant whips him into the steel steps. He tosses him back in the ring. DDP comes out of this, selling his knee and the giant just works on the knee for a long time. Uh, he puts page in a bear hug. Uh, DDP fights back and gets out of it, but DDP or a giant hits a power slam, goes for the pin referee gets the two, but giant pulls him up and decides I want to beat him up some more. So he puts him in another bear hug for a while. He's in a bear hug. DDP, Bites out of it by biting him in the face. But then Big Show or the Giant—keep calling him Big Show. This is—it's always tough for me when it's the Giant because I try to—I want to I, I, I say his actual name in the match, but it's the Big Show. Big Show ends up hitting a big choke slam backbreaker. DDP ends up hitting the Diamond Dream DDT. Goes for the pin. This is getting to the finish of the match. This is kind of stupid. I actually really—this is like one of the worst ref bumps in history uh so ddp hits the diamond dream ddt he goes for the pin giant shoves him off of him as he kicks out ddp kind of glancingly lands on the ref's like right shoulder and the referee like sells like he's been knocked out cold <laughs> so he's lying there face down in the middle of the ring and so who runs out but fellow nwo black and white member because everyone was in some form or fashion the nwo Brett Hart is here. Brett the Hitman Hart, he runs out. He's got a chair. He takes a big swing at DDP, but he misses. He accidentally whams the Giant in the head with the, with the chair. DDP ends up punching Hart in the nuts and sends him on his way. DDP now is the advantage. He goes up to the top rope, hits two top rope clotheslines, goes up for a third. Giant catches him for the choke slam hoists him up to hit the top rope choke slam, but as he goes to bring him down, DDP spins around, reverses it into a top rope diamond cutter and pins him to win 12 minutes and 45 seconds. An incredibly boring match that was rescued by a dope finish. The diamond cutter, this was a very, very good diamond cutter.
0: It was like one good spot, but like, that's it. Yeah, maybe rescuing was a strong term,
1: but it like it gave you something good at least in it.
0: So like like instead of dying by burning to death, you die from smoke inhalation first. Basically. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: like it's it's like when you're in a plane that is crashing but like you die before the plane crashes because you or like you're not conscious for the plane crashing because like you're knocked unconscious by the cabin depressurizing. Oh yeah,
0: fair enough, That's fair enough. That's what it is. Okay. Uh how much did uh how much mileage did WCW get out of that goddamn NWO theme again? A lot. I love
1: yes. how I love how undisputed era just got like <laughs> a total blatant ripoff of the NWO theme song, but it's actually way better and I can I actually don't Get annoyed when I hear it seven times an episode of NXT.
0: You know what I actually think of every time I hear the NWO theme? That time that the NWO came out at WrestleMania to help sting. I was literally oh going to gosh. say that. I was, I was literally <laughs> like, the time that they showed up to help sting? Cause that didn't make any goddamn sense. When, Nostalgia. When
1: you, when you started that sentence, I was thinking in my head, He's going to say when they came out to help stay.
0: <laughs> because I think about that. Dude, I think about that once a week. Like, bro, how stupid was it whenever Vince McMahon booked a WCW WWE match in 20, like, what, 15? 2015, he, yeah. Jesus Christ, my man. The like,
2: Monday Night Wars were never over, Jake.
1: Let it go.
0: They dude. never ended for Vince.
1: He's still and fighting ne- the Monday Night. He would still be fighting the Monday Night Wars. If he had, like, any more WCW people left, he would still be doing it.
0: Yeah. Like, Um, if there was
1: any other, like, if he had any, like, thought, like, hey, I'm going to, you know, we never got a real run out of Buff Bagwell in WWE. (laughs) I'm going to bring him in and we're going to do the Monday Night Wars again, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh, Just to bring it back to the match, uh, there was only one thing I noticed, and I, I just need somebody to validate me here. This match at one point implied that because he is a large man, The giant can absorb a blow to the balls better than a mortal man. Well, yeah, he's got, like, donkey balls. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) wouldn't that make them more susceptible? Not necessarily. I mean,
1: it depends on – because the giant is obviously a different, like, kind of subspecies of humanity from us. It it could be possible that he has evolved some sort of, like, thick
0: hide on his (laughs) scrotum. But, (laughs) like, he – DDP hit him in the nuts and like the announcers were like oh look at him just shaking that off and I was like you don't just shake that shit like you gotta go lay down
2: Hey hey, 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 Jake why don't you go just punch a bull in the testicles and then come back and tell us how that worked out
0: I'm not saying I've ever punched a bull in the testicles I'm just saying like I've seen animals also hit their nuts on Listen (laughs) David's friend showed us a bear getting hit in the nuts and the bear reacted harder than the giant did that's all I'm saying. Shout out to Ricky.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Ricky. He's not listening to this podcast. who I can always count on to send me shit. Like, like a bear getting hit in the nuts.
0: <laughs> we were just sitting at dinner and he's going watch this video.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, you notice that we have talked about literally everything other than the match.
0: Yeah. just, just like everybody else, dude. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, yeah. So just real quick, I, I, this is something that I did not realize. And something my dad never realized either, but DDP, is from Point Pleasant, New Jersey.
1: Yeah, he's a jer- he's he is Jersey trash at its finest. <laughs>
2: Peak Jersey. Um but like the one thing I will say, I guess not so much about the match, but just how the how he was built. It really feels like this version of DDP is like the kind of modern day template of a guy you want on the top. I I, I don't know cuz he's just like a guy who there's not a lot of compl- complexities about him. Like he's a guy who feels like he's wrong has the has the crowd's like attention he's not like objectively a good or bad guy because like DDP or like a few years earlier was still a very big heel in terms of just being this kind of trash person but here he is just a guy that feels like he's been wronged down on his luck and is just you know fighting the injustices of w- wCW I don't know yeah. I just feel it's like really- that's kind of like the whole thing it's like you're fighting against something whether that's bad booking like that's kind of like what moxley did to kinda get over when he left wwe is they kind of talked about how bad wwe booked him and now he has these really passionate problems of just wanting to fight everybody ddp more so he's fighting for respect he's fighting to like be booked as a top guy um you could say with roman like he's he had to fight behind the scenes to get booked like a heel and it's working out great for him like, he's the top guy there. I don't know. I just had that thought. It's not always completely put together when it comes into my head, but I don't know. I just wanted to say it.
1: Well, DDP always was, especially after Returned Babyface, I mean, really good, just kind of everyman babyface, who had a cool mullet, uh, could cut a good promo, was charismatic, fans really liked him, fans I think kind of related to him. They had a really cool finisher and did a cool, like, you know, had a had a nice symbol that he threw up. To hit the finisher that like everyone could then do at the same time because it looked (laughs) cool, and that's like all you need, man. Yeah, that's it. That's all you need. Listen, hey, I have have... those few things, and that's that was good enough, man. I I have two
0: of those things already.
1: Yes, you have the mullet.
0: I have the mullet, and I'm I'm charismatic.
1: You're you are like DDP white trash, and proud of it. So, like that, I mean, but like DDP, like it doesn't always have to be super complicated. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what WWE... of, doesn't need to be a ton of mythology about it. He's just like a guy who's kind of a cool, everyman that people relate to. It cuts a good promo. He's got a cool finisher. Like, okay, man, put him on there.
2: And that's what Question WWE what? has like taught us to like, that's not all they have to have. It's like, they got to have all these requisites. You have not to have like, all can, these things.
0: You can like just get over. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Zack Ryder.
1: Yeah. You can just get over because people like you.
0: Wait, actually, you just made me think of something. Who's the last guy in WWE to have a cool hand motion?
1: Cool hand motion?
0: Because there's some I mean? cool hand
1: motions on it. I mean, you got the, the Wolfpack W. I was throwing that up today. Undisputed, <laughs> no, like, Undisputed Era? Like, oh,
0: Undisputed yeah, yeah, era. yeah. You're right, you're right. My yeah. bad. Dude, remember when, David, remember whenever you were the fourth member of the Undisputed Era? Yes. Before. Bobby Russia. Fish. Bobby Fish legally
1: inducted me into the Undisputed Era on
0: Twitter. D- David was on national television throwing up the undisputed era.
1: Yes, I was. We were on the we were at a WVU basketball game, and the camera was on me, so I put up the undisputed era, baby. I'm I, I
2: remember this now.
1: I was formally inducted into the undisputed era.
2: It is. Roddy, Roddy,
1: that asshole, Roddy took my spot, man.
2: <laughs> man, that sounds like a dream match down the line. That was great, David
0: Statman, Roddy Strong.
2: Please, and and they oh, would okay. have to go over. He's the younger talent.
1: Uh, but Jake, who is this? Who is this? Uh, this hand motion you're referencing?
0: No, I'm just at, like that's what I'm just asking. Like, like who had the cool? Like, who I has mean, the most recent coolest one? I mean, they were doing the two sweet
1: with the uh, the club. We all love the two
2: sweet. yeah. That's, the a, two that's sweet a great good. one.
0: Like, like I'm just thinking, like, in terms of you know, like GDP has the diamond that he that throws up. So, like, and it's just the wolf ears from time
2: to long? time. What? what? It's just like the wolf ears or like, uh, I don't know. Like, the, yeah. what? Like the
1: what? What? The I, I, what? The wolf ears? I don't Did know what they're called. The wolf
0: ears? I
2: thought I read somewhere that that's what they were called. The rock I, fingers? I mean, yeah, that's what I know it as, but that's why I've read the that. What? With, with,
0: with... Dude, what? Dangelo, how do you come up with the weirdest shit to say? Dude, I
2: see something on Twitter, and then my brain associates with it. Why
1: are you reading this on Twitter? Like, Dude, Who are m- you following? I bro? have
2: no clue, man. No clue. Couldn't tell you.
0: What the hell? Dude? I'm here
2: for your entertainment and your entertainment alone.
0: I'm so glad you say shit like that. It makes me feel better. Listen, hey, in my in your defense, uh the other day I was watching a show with David or I was watching a UFC pay-per-view and I said that they were fighting in uh Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi <laughs> I
1: was like, what are you saying,
0: dude? Abu
2: Dhabi? It was like
0: Abu it's, Dhabi? It's pronounced Abu Dhabi, bro. <laughs> So oh, I also Dubai? do it, I just don't do it on the pod, Ant.
2: <laughs> Dude, I, I I have no shame. Come on, that's the first thing about me.
0: I oh, had to, like, man. I
1: don't like, sit there and process it for a second when you <laughs> when you said that. I, <laughs> that
2: Listen, so Dubai
0: is a place. All right, this pay-per-view sucks. Let's get to the main event <laughs> so we can laugh at it. And I
2: was that. thinking that, Jake, because, again, we're just getting sidetracked by everything that isn't Starcade 98.
0: But to answer your
1: question, Jake, I mean, I guess probably the last, like, hand motion to get over was when they brought back the two-sweep.
0: Dude, the two the sweet – I mean, I think Undisputed Era, too, right? Yeah, that as that well. That as well. All right. Yeah,
1: fair enough. Yeah, pretty good stuff. So we come to the reason for the season, our main event of the evening, a no-disqualification match for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. You know it's a big deal because Michael Buffer is out there, and this is one of the things that WCW did really well that I give them credit for, bringing out Michael Buffer for the main events of pay-per-views and big shows. Makes it feel like a big freaking deal because it's Michael Buffer. So, the challenger, big sexy Kevin Nash from the NWO Wolfpack. we talk about how awesome the Wolfpack theme song is real quick?
0: Oh, great song.
1: Absolute classic. He comes out to a big pop. But then, of course, we get one of the great entrances in wrestling. Oh, Jesus. Goldberg. Coming in they show him backstage being, you know, walking out with the security with his with his theme song playing. He stands in the fireworks. Nobody will ever again be as cool and badass as Prime Goldberg. We can watch wrestling for a billion more years, and no one will ever attain the form of Prime Goldberg, I promise you. So Goldberg, of course, he gets the big Goldberg chance. And early on, Goldberg is just Overpowering Nash. Nash is getting offense, but then sometimes Goldberg will just pick him up and just slam him or do something because he's Goldberg. He's a monster. Goldberg, early on very in this match, he hits a spear, tries to he wants to get him up with a jackhammer. He's setting it up. He's playing to the crowd, but then Nash hits him in the nuts and he starts working on him. He gets him up, hits a sidewalk slam for a two-count. He hits a big elbow drop for another two count. This is kind of a slow-paced match. But the crowd's very into it because this is the big match. Goldberg gets a comeback. He hits a spinning neckbreaker. Hits a double underhook suplex for a two count. Gets him up on his shoulder. Hits a big power slam for another two count. And here we come to the bullshit. So you have a few people running in. The The first person to run in making his two and a half marks debut, NWO Wolfpack member Disco Inferno comes out and interferes in this match, or tries to, he gets his ass kicked. Then, out comes fellow Wolfpack guy, Bam Bam Bigelow, who we have talked about a little bit. I believe we talked about him on Starcade 88. Here he is in Starcade 98. He runs out, tries to fight Goldberg, he gets his ass kicked, and he gets sent on his way. Goldberg is lining him up, he's about to put Nash away, but all of a sudden, who appears out of the corner of the camera, it's Scott Hall, who has been disguised as a security guy. He's wearing one of the event staff T-shirts. He pulls out a like a cattle prod, and he tases the shit out of Goldberg. He just tases Goldberg in the middle of the ring with the ref turned around. Kevin Nash hits the jackknife powerbomb, and in 11 minutes and, 27, 11 minutes and 20 seconds, Kevin Nash pins Goldberg and ends the streak. A momentous occurrence in pro wrestling history. The streak is over. Kevin Nash is the champion.
2: Now, both of you guys have ideas of the storyline and they how They
0: Goldberg.
2: He tased him. That son of a bitch tased him. <laughs> However, that spot, the taste spot was so goddamn cool. In a Boy, vacuum. It
0: was not it? I loved
2: it. No, I was a what? sucker for it. It was incredible
1: the taser the taser thing kind of is is sort of leading into one of the great questions of no disqualification matches like if there's no disqualification why don't you go out there and just shoot the other guy with a gun <laughs> like I mean, the taser isn't all the way there, w- but it's getting there. It,
0: because the it's just what we show from Japan where the guy literally just pulls a gun on his opponent.
1: Yeah, yeah there's like the clip from like, I don't remember what it was. It was like DDT or something <laughs> where like a guy pulls a gun out. <laughs> <holding>. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome.
2: But it's just like, it's just so out there. So crazy. And, you know, it. I don't know what the what they used, whether it was a real stun gun. It probably was. I'm not sure it what was, the voltage it on didn't it.
1: did actually stun Goldberg. Come on.
2: Uh, Dude, it sounded like a real one. It sounded like... it's called
1: sound effects, buddy. It's very good. It's called movie magic. It's called the silver screen.
2: Well, it was a good magic. But, like, it makes some sense to say this guy is so unbeatable that they had to tase him for the three count. You know,
0: honestly, you know what, Angelo, you can disagree with me all you want, but you know what I think would have been way cooler? To see Goldberg... Destroy him? No-sell a taser. Imagine that. He just gets... He gets tased and just, like, punches Scott Hall, pins Kevin Nash, flips everyone off, and goes backstage. Now, that would have been
2: cool.
1: Absolute, imagine the absolute scenes if Goldberg no-sold a taser. Because <laughs> that ups the stakes to, like, you will actually have to shoot him in the face with a gun to beat him.
2: (laughs) Because it's the same thing like right now what happened with The Fiend like in that Hell in a Cell match for Seth Rollins. Oh my god,
0: that's actually true. (laughs) Um, I I actually agree with you. Because
2: (laughs) then he literally swung the toolbox on top of the giant pile of ladders and chairs that was on The Fiend's head. The cell gets raised, the match gets ended, and then The Fiend gets up, puts the claw in, and we go off the air. So I do think it would have been really cool but then you have to feel like, okay, he got tased and no-sold it. How else can we beat him?
0: Well, but also, like, in in this situation that I just described, at least then Goldberg still wins the match. Yes. In the situation yes. you're talking about, they just came up with this stupid-ass, no, like, non-finish that nobody asked for.
1: Well, but here's the thing. It's much worse in retrospect, knowing where things went, than That's, maybe it yes. was even at the time. Now, I have always been of the belief that they should have beat Goldberg's streak at Halloween Havoc 1998 <laughs> against DDP, DDP, the best match of Goldberg's career, one of my favorite matches of all time. DDP wins that match. You then use the streak, because by that point, Goldberg's already crazy over. You then use it to elevate another guy. Kevin Nash didn't necessarily need it, but at the same time, the Wolfpack is super over. So, like, there's – it could – like, it, it didn't necessarily like, – like, they could have done something with it maybe. But then, of course, the – like, in retrospect, it's much worse considering what ended up happening a few weeks later. Of course, in – I think it was four or five weeks later on Nitro in late January of 99 – when you have all this builds to World Championship on the line, Kevin Nash defending against Hollywood Hogan, the big showdown between NWO Black and White, the Heels, and NWO Wolfpack, the baby faces, and you get the finger poke of doom. Oh, fuck. And Nash drops the title back to Hogan. They reunite the NWO. And we just go back to, all right, what the hell are we doing? This is bullshit. And then, of course, infamously, that was also on the exact same night that Mick Foley wins the WWF title for the first time. Stone Cold comes in, kicks everyone's ass, the biggest pop in the history of wrestling. And Tony Schiavone, because he was being a smartass, because they pre-taped Raw, spoiled it on Nitro and was like, hey, you know, Mick Foley's going to win the title on on Raw. That'll put some butts in the seats. And then, like, 7 billion people turned the channel from Nitro to Raw because (laughs) they wanted to see Mick Foley win.
0: Like, I, (laughs) I love that you're talking about this right now because I don't think people realize how much this match literally ties into that. Like, literally, the finger poke of... Like,
1: this was... Feeding Goldberg to Nash in this way was stupid. Yes. But at the same time, if they were smart about it, they could have gotten something out of this and built to something good. But this leads directly to the finger poke of doom and just, you know, so Goldberg's streak ends up just being a prop to basically put Hogan over again and that ends up being like basically the point of no return That ensured that WCW would die a just horrifying death.
2: Honestly, that's better storytelling than we hear in most wrestling matches.
1: Well, it's what happened. (laughs) I mean, this happened. Like,
0: Hey, listen, you can say that the story wasn't linear, but you can say
2: that the story sucked ass.
1: It was bad.
2: (laughs) I don't know. Again, objectively, in a vacuum, the stun gun spot was really cool. But again, it leads it leads to a bunch of, you know, it's it's like a comedy of errors.
1: Yes, I I do think that while stupid on its own, it ends up being worse in retrospect because of where it actually ended up going in real life. Like in theory, maybe they could have done something different with it if they weren't stupid, but they were stupid because it's WCW.
0: Re- real quick, did uh, did Goldberg beat Hogan in his streak? Ah, uh, yes, I think. Okay,
1: yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure he beat because, Hogan like, for the title, didn't he?
2: I think so. I, I think title, I mentioned that. He did.
0: But I didn't know if he had beat him like again in the sh- like after the the initial title. I went. think he just beat. I think he just beat Hogan for the title,
1: and then he was just kind of beating up dudes, and he beat like I think the like he beat he beat Hogan for the title, and then I think the other just one big match he had was the DDP match, and then we get to Nash if i remember correctly but yeah i mean he beat hogan the one time but then ended, and you know the the belt ends up back on hogan and then you know now wcw doesn't exist anymore
0: huh so funny really funny how that works bad
2: i guess you could we say have... they were stunned
0: shut up angelo let's get to the marks
1: wcw starcade 1998 the <laughs> night where they tased goldberg <laughs>
0: And we talked about everything other than the wrestling. Because <laughs> why would we want to
1: talk about the actual show? But as we start to wind down this podcast, let's go to our two and a half marks. Let's start with Angela.
2: Sure, uh, I'm going to go with a half mark here for selective DQs because I again, there th- that was a theme throughout the entire card. It's just like how much can these wrestlers get away before the ref decides to blow the uh, to call for the bell, and the refs never do. They weren't all non DQ matches. However, they were allowed to get away with like nut shots or using the trash can as a weapon. A lot of like uh, soft calls by the refs here at WCW. So I'm going to go a half mark to the selective DQs. The negative one mark I'm giving to NWO being literally everywhere. Sure. You could get some good storylines out of it. I mean, the fact that you have this faction that splits up into two other factions, but the fact that you're still calling them the same name is what really drives us home and frustrates me. Is because like, yeah, you could just call them the Wolf Pack, give them their own logo. You don't need to call them the Wolf Pack, the Wolf Pack of NWO or the Red and Black. Literally, just call-, just call them the Wolf Pack. That's it. Done. Cool. Done. Wolf Pack versus NWO. That's all it is.
1: Bro, we're not even talking about like NWO Japan.
2: And then Latino, New World about, Order.
1: Yeah. We're not even talking about NWO Elite, which I think hey, existed. The was, fact
2: that you have NWO in the WC, uh, WCW logo.
0: Who was the most over guy in, in NWO Japan, David? Uh,
1: Got to be Chono, right?
2: NWO, yeah. I, yeah. I thought you were going to say NWO Sting.
0: It was also NWO Sting. That was actually what I was going with, but David took me. To
1: oh go. yeah, well it's it's it is one of the greatest like just curiosities of all time that NWO Sting got crazy over in Japan. Like was a huge star. Yeah, awesome.
2: And then my two marks. I said it before. I'll say it again. The stun gun spot was cool. Two marks.
0: Wow, that's a, that is a choice, Angelo. I'm gonna f- listen. Let me follow him up. Please, Please do. Yeah, I it. want it. it. Bring go, it. Go for it. All right. So, my first is a negative half mark to indoor pyro before, like, 2015. Because it always left the arena looking smoky as hell and, like, cheap. It, I, I know that it wasn't like the cameras or anything, but it made it look cheap. Counterpoint. Would you want them to do the Goldberg entrance without
1: him standing in the fireworks?
0: No, but... give us some like the fire like the the sparks weren't what did it it was the fireworks afterwards that that made it real smoky you know what i mean and like it it was fine like whenever wrestlemania would do it before the show because it would be gone after that first match but like this was the main event and you had to look through a haze to watch half of it so wasn't a big fan of that Uh, I'm going to give a negative one mark to that stupid-ass finish, Angelo. Shut up. It was bad. It was bad. I don't even have anything else to say. Negative one mark to the stun gun spot. But a full two marks to the Goldberg entrance. Nothing makes him feel more badass. Like, listen, I will watch a thousand Tetsuya Naito matches, but nothing feels more badass and then when my man wears a three-piece suit to the ring, and takes twenty minutes to unbutton it one button at a time, <laughs> like, and, and that's what I love about Goldberg. Like they don't just show him leaving the room, walking ten steps, and then cut to him outside. My man, they they followed him through the entire arena. <laughs> they were like, let's just follow him the whole two hundred yards till he walks out, and it'll be awesome. And it was. And it makes me think of the 2016 Survivor 16 Survivor series. I think so. Yeah. Brock? Yeah. Yeah. One of the most badass entrances of all time. Just they bang on the door. It's old Goldberg, but he still looks like he could just rip your head off. So two marks of the Goldberg entrance. I don't think it gets talked about in the greatest entrances of all time, like with Taker, but I think it's one B to Takers. yes
1: i agree it is indisputably one of the great wrestling entrances of all time yeah there's just an epicness about it that just hypes it up so
0: much he has a like like he's such a huge badass but he has a security detail like i don't know why but that just makes sense the security detail
1: is not there to protect him from you it's to protect you (laughs) you. (laughs) exactly exactly all right, so here's my two and a half marks. First off, I'm going to give a half mark to my guy, Ernest the Cat Miller, baby. I always enjoy seeing him because he, to me, is like the quintessential like mid-card WCW guy who was just some guy. But he's always out there, and he's doing something, and in retrospect, you don't remember a single thing that he ever actually did but you remember that he existed. And he has one of my favorite wrestling like origin stories of like how he got into wrestling. So they talk about him in his match with Perry Saturn about like his background as a karate guy and like a competitive karate dude, which is actually true. He was like a karate tournament champion or whatever. He was actually ended up becoming. Eric Bischoff's son's karate instructor. Oh, God. And Eric Bischoff was like, yo, you're cool. You want to be a pro wrestler? And he was like, sure. And then he ended up in WCW for like, <laughs> and then he was just, he was just a guy. He never wrestled before, had no background in wrestling whatsoever, but he was teaching Eric Bischoff's son how to do karate. And Eric Bischoff just liked the guy. And then he got him a job. So half mark to Ernst the Catmiller. My negative 1 mark, don't need to go too much into this, but we cuz we already talked about it a decent bit on the show. But my negative 1 goes to just having random ass matches on your flagship pay-per-view. This is your WrestleMania. Why is Prince IPO wrestling Norman Smiley? Why I mean, what is the point of that? Why do you why do you do that? You can't like build up anything with like more than 3 different like 3 or 4 guys? Like I think Nitro was 3 hours long, dude.
2: If it isn't the nwo, no one cares.
1: I mean, give people something to do, Jesus. How are we, how am I supposed to pay $50 to watch Starcade 98 and you're going to give me a uh, Brian Adams tag match?
0: It's it's like it's like watching Yoshi Tatsu on a WrestleMania. Like. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's the same thing. It's like if I spend my $50 on WrestleMania, you know, 35, and they're like, "All right, so here's uh here's a singles match between uh Drew Gulak and uh Dolph Ziggler." And they're just going to have a match. And it's going to be like 10 minutes long and that's just in the middle of WrestleMania in this giant stadium.
2: You say that, but I'm sure that at WrestleMania they're going to have like Drew Gulak versus R Truth for the 24/7 title at some point.
1: And also Drew Gulak versus Dolph Ziggler actually probably be a pretty I was good match. It would be a good match. <laughs> <though>. <laughs> but still, my point stands. And my two marks goes to, you know, I'm a huge DDP mark. Hell yeah. My One of my favorite finishers of all time, the Diamond Cutter. This is a great Diamond Cutter in this match. You know, it's, it's different from the RKO in, in practice. It is, you know, a cutter. They're the same move, but, you know, in practice, it's a different move. I mean, Randy doesn't really, like, you know, DDP kind of grabbed him in the face lock lock and did the turn, whereas Randy kind of just jumps up and gets him. But the diamond cutter, very, I think, underestimated for all the different ways he was able to bust it out. Not unlike an RKO out of nowhere. And, of course, the best diamond cutter of all time. Halloween Havoc 1998, when he reversed uh, Goldberg's jackhammer into the diamond cutter, and the crowd went absolutely apeshit, and he should have won the match, and that should have broken the streak, and I will die on this hill. I will die on it. I swear to God, I will die on it.
2: So if you're keeping track at home, that means we have two positive marks for the stun gun spot, and one negative mark, net positive.
0: No. No. No, no. What? No, no. no. <laughs> he was talking about the, the diamond. Color. No, i t-
2: I know, but you have a negative half, mar- a negative mark for the stun gun spot. I have two marks for the stun gun spot. Two minus one is one.
0: Switch my switch my my one and my two. Negative two, zero. <laughs> okay. Shut up, man. <laughs>
1: I'll allow it. I will allow it. The motion carries. <laughs> okay, so that will wrap up our coverage of WCW Starrcade 1998, and that will bring us to our last order of business, where we hit the randomizer. We find out. What we're going to be watching next week here on the pod. As I pull this up, what do you guys want to see?
2: I kind of want... I said it last week. I want some NXT. But I think I might be okay with anything. Just like anything really random or out there. Yeah, I want something kind of
0: random. Like like an in-your-house or something like that.
2: Maybe not in your house.
1: Well, as it turns out, we are going back to the late 2000s in WWE. And I believe... Was this our first ever Royal Rumble?
2: Yes, it is. Oh, Royal, fuck.
1: Royal Rumble 2008.
0: Hold on, hold on, hold on. Is that the Cena one?
1: It's the one where Cena came back at Madison Square Garden. Yes! Went oh, and oh, my God! A, a truly classic Royal Rumble moment. Cena's return at Royal Rumble 08 at Madison Square Garden. So this is, I mean, this this should be a pretty good one, honestly. I mean, I I do at least have very positive memories of this Royal Rumble. I definitely do. So next week, Royal Rumble 2008 here on the Two and a Half Marks podcast.
2: Dang, we missed the Jimmy Wang Yang versus Deuce and Domino match. Oh,
1: uh, Were they at the dark match?
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> I really wanted to talk about Jimmy Wang Yang. That was such a great gimmick. Uh, well, you win some, you lose some. But next week, Royal Rumble 2008 here on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. So until then, I'm your host, David Statman, and for my friends, Jake Wong and Angelo and Glisa, as always, everybody, thanks for listening.